I lo- it's great worshiping together, isn't it? I love when we we're all together. I love uh, it's like I love the s- the small and the being in the communities, and I love when we're together. So at the moment, we've got best of bo- both worlds. So thank you, worship team, for serving us so well. When we get together, we are blessed and enriched. Do you like my new hat, <laughs> Richard? For Megan? Not for no, not for this is for me, mate. I t- I tell you what's going on with this, yeah. So Christmas time this year uh, made me think of a couple of things. Uh, one was this, which my kid said, you must wear this, please, Dad. So we had a secret Santa um, with, our, with our wider family. You know Vinted, the app, some of you know that. And uh, the secret Santa with the wider family was you've got to get something off Vinted for up to like a fiver, and then no one knows who's bought what. And, uh, and this was what I got. But it turned out that it was from one of my children, Zeb. So thank you, Zeb, for that. So I need to... I'm not going to wear it for the whole sermon, though. It could be distracting. Yeah. This is your level, though, Richard, isn't it? This is... Yeah. Richard normally wears... This is normal attire for Richard, like jewels and things like that. Yeah, here we go. There we are. So I got this hat, and then something else that happened was that there was a question that was asked. I can't remember who asked it. We were in some setting or with some of the interns, some of the kids, and someone asked one of those deep, meaningful questions, which was, if this last year was a chapter in a book that you were writing about your life, what would the chapter be called? Ooh, so maybe you want to think about that. In 2023, if it was a book chapter for you, what would that one be called? And, uh, and I, I, I went down the line, which was slightly miserable. At least that's what I was told. I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'd call it something like coming down the other side um, because I am 49 but this year I turn 50 2024 I'm going to be 50 can you believe it 50 and so I had that in mind I also was thinking about so I was thinking about just the maths you know unless I go beyond 100 I'm going to be hitting halfway I mean let's pray for that maybe I'll be healthy beyond 100 but um, the other thing I was thinking of is in the last year become more aware of getting older because things like hamstrings or calves that I pulled when I was running didn't seem to get quit at better within two days it was like it's still hurting after four weeks what's going on here my body is not responding as it as it did 30 years ago so that's what I was thinking about and I but I was also thinking about something else really really important I wasn't just being miserable they all said cool that's miserable you need to be more positive about your life you're making it sound like you're coming to the end and drifting downhill towards the end I said no 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 that's not what I had in mind at all and I and I want to read through a few verses which will help you to understand at least what I was thinking. These are verses which I've been reading in the past month or so. And I've been, I've been reading them um, every time I pick up the Bible in my own personal devotion times. Because I found some of these verses so interesting in this chapter. I thought, I need to keep reading this and reading this just to remind myself and to think through and pick up some commentaries just to help me grapple with it and it's it's on this theme you're going to think this is a miserable start to the year 
and a miserable Vision Sunday message. But just stay with me, because I don't think it is. So they'll come up on the screen here. This is from Ecclesiastes 7. I'll remove the fantastic hat now. So I want to hear some... uh, Oh, so I'll pop it on later, Richard, don't you worry. So I want to hear some amens as we go through these verses. Is that all right? You're going to love these verses. Really cheery. And you'll be thinking, how does this fit in with the vision for the year and what we've been putting out online over the past couple of weeks where we've been talking about having a rest and a reset before we move into some really important things like prayer 40 days of prayer and fasting starting in just over a month and we're thinking about developing and strengthening our community life and our group life, our grow group. So how does this relate to those things? Let's see. So here we go. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1. A good name is better than fine perfume. Sounds all right. Yep. Go with that. And the day of death better than the day of birth. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we're doing well. We're doing well. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Amen. You're all like, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter. Amen. Because a sad face is good for the heart. Amen. I'm I'm, I'm feeling on my own here. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Amen. Thanks, Richard. Yes, mate. Let's do this. Let's do this. But the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. There we are. Happy beginning of the year. Happy Vision Sunday. Sorry to bring a bit of misery your way. What are these verses about? I I just thought that's so like jarring when you read that and it goes against everything that we instinctively know, especially as Christians in Christ. It cuts right across what we know also must be true because that's what I thought. I thought, what what is being got at here? Because I know that joy in the Lord is our portion and is our strength and we know that we are to, to delight in the Lord and in life and be grateful for life and that God blesses us with many good gifts, doesn't we? So we know all these things and you think, well, how does this actually line up with it? What's going on here? This, these kinds of verses do a number of things. They, they sharpen the mind, they, they broaden our understanding, they can clear our perspective out because things start to come on, like on the windscreen and that needs to be wiped away. And it, it develops wisdom, that's what these verses mention, wisdom, and it, and it resets the system. So when we read a verse like this, it brings us back to ground zero. So at the beginning of the year, we've, we've had a busy year, probably Christmas for many of you would have been not like restful as in sitting around doing nothing. Some of you would have had a few days of that, but who was traveling around all over the place? Who was like constantly going from cheese and biscuits to a meal to clearing up to washing up to, you know, 
wrapping paper ever all that kind of stuff goes in there as well for many people and so it's like we we pick up stuff we clutter our lives so at the beginning of the year it's like we need we need to press reset and that's part of what these first few weeks of the year are where we stop and we pause and we think about the things that are really important and we get ourselves back to those foundations so that we can then set off again and enjoy and move into all the things that God has got for us. So who wants to be wise? Because it mentions wisdom in that. So who, who wants to be the wisest person that walked the face of the earth after Jesus and Solomon? Who'd like to take third position there? So that God, God won't ever tell us, but when you go before him, he might say to you, you know you were number three. I couldn't say anyone, but play you did really well if you would like to be wise then these verses help us with a little bit of insight into how we can take a step towards wisdom even more verse 4 says that the wise will take it to heart the wise will take it to heart so um uh, was that? No, it's verse 2. The living should take this to heart. And so it speaks there about taking into our souls, into our heart, into our being, the, the lessons behind these passages. And then in verse 4, the heart of the wise. So it talks in there about learning. It's like we've got to go behind the scenes of these verses and engage with it at a heart level to see what it's really saying. But it's tapping into um, this. This is a commentary from Derek Kidner, who wrote a commentary on Ecclesiastes. And this is the section on, on Ecclesiastes 7. He says, The day of death has more to teach us than the day of birth. Its lessons are more factual and paradoxically more vital. At birth, and indeed on all festive occasions, like it talks about the pleasure and feasting, the general mood is excited and expansive. It's not time for dwelling on the shortness of life or human limitations at those moments. We let our fancies and our hopes run high. But in the house of mourning, on the other hand, the mood is much more sober and somber and thoughtful and the facts of life are more plain if you shrug them off then you don't really have a better chance of facing them than anyone else so paradoxically by looking at something that's quite in a way depressing it actually helps us to become more joyful in this temporary life it helps us to become wiser as a result because you know what's going on in the world and many of us are not long out of the world if you've become a christian recently then you know what life was like i know i thinking back i know what my life was like before i gave my life to christ you 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 run on trying to fill up your life with all kinds of other things that give you the illusion that it's probably going to go on forever and so we run from one thing to the other trying to push aside the fears and the anxieties and that kind of nagging sense of darkness that creeps in and then something hits you it could be a sickness it could be covid it could be you lose your job it could be some un un known anxiety that grips your soul suddenly your 
thrown off. Where do you go? We've already heard this morning, we know where we go. We go to Jesus. There's no one else that has the words and the spirit of life. So what we're doing is we're, we're resting for a few weeks in terms of meetings and prayer meetings and groups and all kinds of other things in order that we might just breathe, think about this kind of stuff, then we head back into the many things that we know God has called us to do. At the end of last year, my, my phone broke, not entirely, but enough to make me think I need, I need probably need to replace it. So I, I got it like mended. I thought I'll sell that one on, got another one. And these days it's so easy, isn't it? Because you can even hold phones near to each other and they speak to each other and then put all the stuff onto the other phone. So easy. You can you know, engage with the cloud or plug things into it. But there's that moment where you have to reset your old phone and, and you reset it back to factory settings. And at that moment, there's that little pause where you think, have I definitely transferred it all over? I better double check or you think I won't do that quite yet i'll use my new one for a few days just in case i haven't because i don't want to go into the settings press reset put it all the way back to factory and then go oh no it didn't change my address book or it's left something else out so when you're on the move when you're using your phone and it's picking up all this clutter and you're busy that's not the moment when you want to reset you do it in a quiet moment, don't you? You do it when you're at home, when it's plugged in, when you've got a strong Wi-Fi signal. You don't reset your phone when you're on the train to London, usually. That's not the moment you do it. And so we have to slow down, get our, like our souls quiet for, a, for a, as long as we can at the beginning of the year, a few weeks corporately we're doing that, in order that we can go through like that reset back to factory settings we're not wiping everything so don't don't think it's not we're stopping wiping deleting it's more like resetting on some of the basics getting back to this kind of stuff because then we can see more clearly what it is that we've got to do because you can lose sight of it can't you the 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 basic software if you like that that has been given to us in christ through god what we are called to do can get lost in the busyness of life. But here, just in these few verses, four times it uses the word better. Better, better, better. And it, and it talks about it being better to be thinking about things that are more serious and sober. But these, that it's good for us, verse 3. A, a sad face can be good for the heart in a kind of paradoxical way. You may not see it immediately, but there's deeper things that are going on. In my diary, electronic Google diary that I use, I, I put in, um, a few years ago I started to do this, if I was involved in taking a funeral or there was a friend of mine or a family member that had passed away, I would note the date in my diary and then have it on repeat. And the reason why I wanted to do that was because it, it, of course, reminds me of those people, and that's not a bad thing. 
um, because they're, if they're not close friends, you f- can forget and you can forget the dates and things like that. But it, it reminds me of all those people that I've met or have known or have passed through my life, people that I may have personally been involved in leading their, their funeral, but also the family members. So if I remember and I see it, sometimes I will, will message on that date and say, just thinking of you remembering so-and-so and the celebration of his or her life that we had. And there's, there's two sides to that. that. That can make me sad as well as bring me back to this kind of thinking. Two people fighting the last five, six years, uh, two key people. Uh, the first one was a friend of mine, Ninian. Do you remember Ninian? Many in the church will remember him because he came along to this church. He was a school friend of mine. We were at secondary school together and we used to hang out. We used to be best mates. We used to get up to all kinds of hijinks, but we would always have a laugh together. And he came to Christ later in his life, but he was an alcoholic. And so all the way through, he was battling, 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 and eventually it took his life. And that was six years ago. It will be this year. And I often think of him more than just when the date comes up in my diary, and it makes me happy and it makes me sad. I was thinking about him at Christmas. Something just like twigged, and I remembered his, his laugh. Um, and he, if you remember Ninian on you, he had a, like a noisy laugh. He would always laugh at everything. And I just remember laughing with him. And I thought, oh, I missed that. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to laugh with him until glory. Until glory. So death has come, but I'm reminded I'm sad. But then in Ninian's case, I'm also happy because I'm thinking I will see him again. I will see him again. And it reminds me that I haven't got long either. He went early. He went ahead. But thank you, Ninian, for reminding me. And the other person is my mum. So a year later, five years ago, my mum passed on into glory after long, long, long period, years of, of illness. And so again, I think of my mum, and so I'm sad but happy. I'm sad because she's not here. I'm sad because I think like the, the, the memories. It's just a memory. I want to be able to talk to her again and, and, and for her to see where life is at and ch- children growing and all those kinds of things. But I'm happy that she's been freed from the suffering she was going through for so long and happy that I will see her again in glory. Hallelujah. So a sad face is good for the heart. Perhaps that's something of what it means. It makes me think about things that may well keep me more aligned with Jesus and with an eternal perspective. Proverbs 4, 5 to 9 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Or in the King James Version, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing. So if we want to be wise, got to get it. What I'm talking about today is like one aspect of wisdom. It's not everything. It's just not everything is thinking about death and dying and the, the kind of limitations of life. But one aspect. So, but get wisdom... Though it might cost everything you have in, t- in, in terms of like laying down your own thinking, laying down your own ideas and rationale and priorities and the, 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 your own things that you want to pursue in life to think, no, this actually is a deeper and greater truth, might cost you that, it's worth it. Get understanding, cherish it, cherish her, and she will exalt you 
Embrace her and she will honour you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Yeah. So we want wisdom. This is the kind of wisdom that we want. But where do we get it? Colossians 2, 2 to 3, the Apostle Paul says this, My goal is that they may have that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So where do we get wisdom? In Christ. We don't get it from another person unless they're bringing the wisdom of Christ to us. We don't get it from Google, yeah, unless it's, again, the wisdom and truth of Christ and the word of God somehow coming through that. We get it from a person. Isn't it amazing? Because when we think of wisdom, like the verses we read at the beginning, it makes it sound like it's academic, like it's something you learn Like, right, if I remember these verses in Ecclesiastes and I learn them and I quote them and I state them, that will get you so far. But unless you know the source of that truth and that wisdom, unless you know the person who you can be in relationship with, who actually conveys that truth to you. So we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is is speaking this truth to us. Jesus lived this truth, didn't he? He lived a, a relatively short life, 30-odd years, and then he gave his life. He went through death and three days later rose from the grave. This is what he says. He says, don't get too taken up with this earth. Remind yourself. He knew his life was ending in death. He knew his call. He knew what he was there to do. We don't have that same kind of call as him, but we follow in his footsteps and we definitely have a call to lay down our lives for his purposes, don't we? To pick up our own cross and choose daily to follow after him. So we say, yeah, Lord, wherever you want me, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I will do it. That's the simple theory of it. You are my Lord, so I say, yes, Lord. Tell me what you want me to do. I'm on it. Is that what you feel like every day? We don't always feel like We forget that, don't we? But daily, that, that should be our mentality. Here I am. Yes, Lord. Go there. Yes. Stop that. Okay. Start that. Okay. Lay your life down. Okay. I resurrect you. Thank you. Okay. It's not that simple. But this is what the Spirit leads us into. This is the instruction that comes from Christ and through his word. So wisdom is knowing Jesus Christ and his truth, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing his word, his written word, knowing the word that he speaks to you, knowing what he saved you for. In other words, he saved you to be his very own, to be part of his community, part of his body, and to walk in particular purposes that he has got for you and places that he may want to send you. And then you know that, you delight in him, you appreciate that, and you grow in your understanding so that he becomes your all in all. But everything in this world, the world and our own flesh and habits and the spiritual principalities and powers work against these simple, basic truths that are like the basis for our very existence. And we could go a whole year and you think, Oh yeah, I sort of lost sight of that 
So we need a reset. That's the point, having a bit of a reset. And we find in the New Testament hints of this still. We know that in Ecclesiastes we can, we can write a little bit of it off because probably the writer didn't understand fully. He didn't know what was happening in Christ, so he didn't have that same eternal perspective. But even there, without Christ, he understood that there's a wisdom and a, a sobriety that comes by thinking about the shortness of life and what's really important. But you get to verses in the New Testament like Philippians 1, where again the Apostle Paul's saying, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, it's fruitful labour. In other words, yes, Lord, yep, I'll do that. I'll live, I'll die, send me where you want. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between both things, or the King James Version says it in a wonderful way. For I am in a a strait betwixt the two. Sounds like Shakespearean writing. I'm in a strait betwixt two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. When, when Paul writes it, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? It's, you think, man, he's, he sounds like, does he not want to live? It's like, I don't want to be here, I'd rather go, but I'll stay because it's a real benefit for you and Christ is honoured. A, a bit of me is like, wow, is that your life? He'd probably say, yeah. It's my life. I love it. I'm filled with Christ. Whereas we're filled with so many other things, aren't we? For, for many of us, it would be a struggle to say that. I'd rather go. Who would rather go? No one. I mean, when, if, if life is bad, let's, let's be honest, if, if there's serious sickness or grief or the, the anxiety and the darkness and the pain comes in, of course we reach those moments where we think, I don't want to be here anymore. That's different. We, we know that. Many of us have had those moments. That's different where we just want to get out because it's so painful. Paul, Paul seems to be saying, no, no, I'm, I'm happy to stay. I enjoy Christ here and it's amazing seeing what he's doing through me. By the grace of God, I'm an apostle, he says. But of course, I'd rather go. Because what's this earth? What's this world? so short in the Psalms we're told very clearly that we are to number our days that we number our days and by numbering our days we gain a heart of wisdom it's the same kind of principle I think that's Psalm 90 number your days in other words count them off like you've got a, a tick list going down has anyone got one of them on the calendar? Like starting at, say, age 100 or 80. You've been ticking it off your whole life. No, I've heard of people that do that. Again, but the point is remind yourself that the days are going down. What am I doing? What am I giving myself to? What am I doing in 2024? So we, we press reset once this Jesus-centered, eternal perspective is back. So we might say, okay, got it, Adam. You can stop now, all right? You can stop there now. I got it, I got it, I got it. Where are we going? So with that in mind, I'm going to walk us through a few slides here that will at least express 
as a church the things that we feel are important and then we're going to land thinking particularly about our groups and community life tony's going to come and just give some detail on that for a few minutes towards the end so where are we going there's a few things that are kind of like vision uh statements and explanations that will pop up so first one where are we going this is generally where we're going we are bringing the hope of the kingdom of god as a group of people wherever we are it's the kingdom is coming in your workplaces your neighborhoods your families the particular ministries god's called you to you to and the stuff we do as a church transforming lives through the gospel and we want to see more multiplication so we've been talking as elders and community leaders and staff and looking through some of our prophetic words which i'll highlight some in a moment and we want to see more communities started 10 healthy and vibrant communities of disciples across medway and 10 churches planted beyond medway in the next 10 years so thing with vision statements is it's not like they're written in stone we can change this but it what it does is it gives a picture it gives an idea of what we're what we're doing if we go beyond that or we choose in a year say oh we're going to change it and that's fine it's not like you know we've signed in blood on this and put legal agreements in place but this gives an idea of multiplication where have we got this from why do we think this here's some key shaping prophetic words Many of you will have heard these if you've been on intro, on our welcome lunch, or you've been in the church for a while. These won't all be new, but here, that, here are some of them. These are things that God said to us over the last 30 years that the church has been around. Not just scores and scores, but hundreds and hundreds of people. He's spoken to us about strawberry planting, so strawberries that send out runners Uh, the strawberry plant sends out a runner another plant is established and then it puts its own roots down so we had that years ago about something about satellites or about different colored balloons around the towns so you can imagine when we we had these prophetic words 20 years plus ago we're thinking what is that what does that mean now we think ah maybe this is part of it the moving into the five communities starts to give us more of an insight into that We've had prophetic words encouraging us to reach the poor and the broken, those that are in debt, to feed people. We've had words about healing, about being a healing centre for physical and mental healing. Building with the unlikelies. In other words, we're not just going for the elites, for those that in the eyes of the world look like they've got it together. God wants to build a church out of those that are unlikely and build us together confronting the occult and spiritual powers in medway and the places that we we touch beyond the church will be made up of many different colors flags nations intercultural and we can see that amongst us even today and when we we do a hands up and count numbers of nations when we did it last time there was about 42 in the room praise god that are our attitude towards Medway is to be one of bringing celebration and thankfulness. So Medway can be, depending on which streets you walk down, not a place of celebration. It can be a place of brokenness and darkness. But God says to us, I call you to be a people 
that celebrate my goodness in this place and celebrate the people of Medway and how I've made them and my call on their life. Multiple expressions of God's kingdom. In other words, take something like Jasper's Cafe. And so it might not be a church or a church plant or a community, but there are numbers of, of like pioneering initiatives or ministries that are, that are coming out from us. Some of them are things we're responsible for. In other words, our trustees have to oversee the finances and we are kind of managing them. Others don't. And so many of you are pioneering initiatives you are running organizations in some cases you are working in places in in schools and universities and businesses and you are looking to bring in practices or truths or ways of operating and that that is a way in which the kingdom of god is coming that's the kingdom of god at work so this is part of the multiple expression so we are here to see Jesus transforming lives. So at the beginning of the year, this is what our life is about, isn't it? No matter where we are, we want to see this, all of us individually and together, regeneration of Medway and beyond in the places that we touch. Matthew 28 speaks about Jesus sending us into all nations to teach and to baptise. So how will we do it? So we're thinking about these three words making disciples, mobilizing disciples, and multiplying disciples. And so if we are able to, in the power of the Spirit and with God leading us, move through these categories, we will see movement happening. What we want to see is a movement of God, a movement of the Spirit, a movement of God's people scattered around Medway and other places who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are bringing the kingdom in the places that they find themselves, bringing the kingdom within their own homes and households, all these different areas, and that creates a, a movement. So it's, it's the church that's doing it. It's not the platform or a few individuals that might lead from the front when we're in a gathered context. That's a, that's a particular call and gifting that some have to lead or work within a church and do that. Most people don't have that and probably are thinking, no thanks, I can do without that. God's called me to be involved in this area, this part of humanity and to bring his kingdom. So we should be praying for you, equipping you, training you, encouraging you, standing alongside you, standing firm when the enemy attacks and when you're under pressure because you, you are fulfilling the vision and the call of the church as we've just outlined. So we make disciples, people become Christians. And there's lots of different ways. And Rhonda, as the months go on, will be firing us up about people becoming Christians, that's for sure. We mobilize Christians in, in the sense that we want to see Christians growing, maturing, becoming and living holy lives, and then working out life together in community and praying for one another. So we're, we're all active and we're on the move together. And then we want to multiply that. So what does that mean? It means the multiple expressions, but it certainly means that we start more churches and we plant other communities and or churches in Medway, where whatever they end up being. But we've got to start more communities. We've got to, we've got to multiply, otherwise it gets stuck. It's messy. It's kind of like bits fall out the side as you go along. 
It's more like a truck than a kind of Lamborghini truck with bits falling out of the edge. We'd go around and clean it all up. Because as we're moving, as we're moving people, there's all kinds of messes that get collected and things that you have to course correct as we go along. But it's about, about movement. That's the point. Not just about gathering into a building and making everything slick and tight when we do that. So... What kinds of communities, I'm drawing to the end of my bit now, and then Tony will come up in a minute. What kinds of communities or churches do we want to multiply? So if there's movement that starts and begins, what does it look like? Does it matter? As long as people are Christians and they just are on the move and serving God in a variety of random ways, does it matter what they're like or what we're like yes it does so it's not this at any cost it's not growth at any cost there is a quality control so here are 10 hallmarks that we're going to be multiplying that we trust god will help us to like keep course aligned and correct on where need to be first of all word-based so we, we always want to be a people whether it's churches, communities, households, individuals, children, your ministry, your area of service, what you're doing out in your workplace. It's, it's word-based, grounded on the word. The word of God is the authority and we submit to it. Amen? And we do our best to understand it. We might think that's difficult to understand, like the verses we read at the beginning. We might think, oh, there's different views on that. But the point is, we take, that's why we take it seriously. So let's talk about those views. Let's talk about perspectives. Let's see what we learn from one another. But the point is we must all agree that the word of God is in authority and is vital. Secondly, spirit-empowered and led. So we're a people that believe that we are baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and you need it. It's for today. And if you are filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit as a church community... And as individuals, it means that we move in spiritual gifts. It means that prophecies for today. It means people will speak in tongues. It means people are uh, delivered of things that hold them in bondage. It means that we confront spiritual powers. It means that we recognize all the different kinds of gifts and ministries. And it means that we live our lives wanting to be in step with the Holy Spirit since we've been born again by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit day to day. Amen. Thirdly, grace-filled. It's not about performance or about you in your own effort trying to rack up a record or comparison with others, as some of us have been reminded of in the past couple of days at the Scent 18s to 29s conference that some of us just got back to. One of the sessions was on comparison. If you compare, it often leads to you putting yourself above someone or below someone. But in Christ, there's an equalization that takes place. It's by his grace. And grace is a power. Grace is a, is a force. Grace is a person that we relate to. And so by knowing his love and his tenderness and his forgiveness and his acceptance, that empowers us and it, and it fills our soul with fire to be able to get up when we've fallen down, that when we've sinned, we know where to go. We find forgiveness and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness and so on. So this isn't about pressure and trying to reach some kind of plan or agenda. It's about being filled with the love of God, that we're already free 
and loved and accepted before we've moved into any of this. Amen? Prayerful. So the importance of prayer together. So 40 days of prayer and fasting, obviously in that period, we'll be talking a lot about that. So I won't go into all the details of that, but that starts in the middle of February and there'll be lots of opportunities to pray most days And then coming out from that, we want to reconfigure the way that we pray, when we pray, how we pray. So that will be a a long period of time where we'll be zoning in on that. And also the Sundays when we're preaching, we'll be pausing from our Mark series. And there'll be a mini series for about six weeks where we're looking at the the prayers that are in the Bible, mostly in the New Testament, but other prayers as well, and looking at some of the lessons in those prayers. But prayer is so important because it's it's where everything's stripped back there's no razzmatazz is there really it's it, you don't need anything for it do you? you can you can use the word of god of course we need we need that but what i mean is you don't need lights or um you know a, a, an atmosphere it doesn't have to be great you could be in a prison cell with nothing and as you pray the presence of god is with you he's there things can happen uh, prison doors literally open don't they new testament as people pray but we know it's hard to pray it's difficult we have to learn it's like a muscle and so we've got to be in it together so praying together deep in community being a church family this is where the groups come in so again remember back back to the this is reset back to basics reboot back to the original manufacturer's software design in christ really important that we meet together regularly and we meet together around the word of God, around prayer, around sharing lives together. We're pulling into that social stuff and food, of course, and reaching out to others. But we have to be together. That's the point. And so this new system of groups that we're going to be exploring will help us in that. Vision for the city, the kingdom of God in all things for the good of all. In other words, although this is like the, the, if you like, the church vision, it's not, it's not supposed to be kept just within the church because we're a kingdom people. So the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. The, the church is, a, is an outpost of the kingdom of God, the place where we gather the relationships we have. It's the place where we come as a community of people. Vital that we do that. But the kingdom of God is where the people of God go and where his name is proclaimed and his truth is lived out. So this touches our society and our world out there in all kinds of ways and level. That's part of our vision. Everyone active, every member ministry. We're a temple. We're a body. We're together. Everyone is in some way gifted and valued, even though we're all different and have different kinds of gifts and experiences and abilities, uh, there's a place for you. So you may have come in recently and you're thinking, I don't have any gifts or I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't feel good at anything. Or I was told as I was growing up that I'm bad at that and bad at that. You may have failed at lots of things. The word of God says that you're called, you're loved, you're chosen, you've got a call and a purpose and a gift, gifts, and the Holy Spirit can work through you in amazing ways. And so you might think, yeah, I I feel like one of those unlikelies. I don't know what I've got to offer. Sometimes the unlikelies are the ones that lead the charge in extraordinary ways. Receiving Ephesians 4 ministries, 
following servant-hearted leadership. So Ephesians 4 is a bit in the Bible where it mentions leaders. It talks about apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. And so within the church, we, we, we honour those gifts. So what are we multiplying? We're not multiplying leaders, leaderless groups. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads us. It's all we need. Yes, Jesus will lead us. Yes, we have his word. But he seems to have arranged it so that the gifts are apportioned out. So we benefit from being in a body. So it doesn't mean that it's done in a top-down kind of way. It's there's serving that should go on. So the attitude and the demeanour is not to do it like the world was do it. Jesus said that where you look where it's lorded over and people are pressured and controlled. It needs to be done in the spirit of love and of grace, where people are are, are sensing the love of God, like the, the pull of the spirit into the things that God is leading us into, and then crossing boundaries intercultural intergenerational and across the classes so there's all sorts of different classes even within the UK in terms of rich and poor and working class and so on they're quite subtle to spot Um, it's been interesting just to sort of talk with people said I've never really thought of it like that before but there are there are parts in of Medway that that are not not reached there are there are uh, communities within our towns in Medways who would find it very unusual to come into a setting like this at a certain time would find it very odd to be invited round someone's house for dinner because that's not what you do and sit round a table. These sorts of things that many who are of a certain class and type would think, I thought that was normal. No, not at all. Some people think that's really weird. Uh, and there's that kind of organisation of home life is not there. So how, how do we reach? How do we bring the gospel to those kinds of communities? So we're pressing reset. And final couple of verses before Tony comes. Get ready, Tony. Thinking about groups. Back to basics. We're all being built together. Uh, Susie had a picture of a, of a jigsaw board. And they're talking about this actually out with our children as well. So they're covering some of these same verses here that are on this slide. So a jigsaw puzzle where everyone is being fitted together. But there's a, there's a section on the bit of puzzle which faces out and a section which is missing. It's like it faces in. And so you have to have both going on. And the picture Susie had was that God wanted to remind us that we need that, that outward, you know, that the ministry and we're reaching out to others. We're moving into the things God's called us to do. But there also needs to be that, that inward where it's like there's a, it feels like there's a bit missing. Another part needs to be connected to you. And that's a bit like what the church is actually like in these verses 1 Peter 2 4 to 5 as you come to him Jesus the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him also you like living stones are being built together connected together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Jesus Christ 1 Corinthians 12 the verse about the body different body parts also mentioned that today and in Ephesians 2:10, we're God's handiwork or God's workmanship he's crafted us together to do good works which he prepared in advance for us together so that that, that puzzle it's like we're we're, hit, we're crafted in him um, but the amazing thing is Jesus is part of that puzzle if you think of it 
in in those terms it's not like he's made it and he's like oh there it is that's nice he's come into it and he is the corner of it so when you do jigsaws you often do the edges first don't you if you've done jigsaws do the corners and then your edges and then you go from there so the imagery of the buildings where jesus is the cornerstone it's the same principle in the building the corner and the edges so it's saying jesus has come in and been set so you've got to all be set on him, make sure you're being built on him and you're being built together in that way. Don't stray from those things. So as we're pressing reset, yeah, we're picking up prayer and groups in the, in the first couple of months, but that's, this is what we're going for. It's not like we've left this behind. It's just that we're thinking, well, we can't cover 10 things all in one whack, otherwise we'd be exhausted. So we want to press in because we feel, let's start with the groups Let's start with the communities, because we know God's got so much more for us. Amen? Amen. Tony, let's welcome Tony Sands. One of the things I I love about Christmas is going to people's houses and eating their food. Uh, uh, And what I love is the fact that in this church I can go somebody's house who's older than me, somebody's house who's younger than me. Somebody's house where I'm going to get jollof rice. Somebody's house where I'm going to get roast beef. I know that in this place, uh, we're a family of families and we're connected by Jesus to each other in ways that people who don't know Christ will never understand. They'll never understand that when one of my brothers has somebody pass away, as, as, as Sam did this week, had his dad pass away, just want to acknowledge that. Uh, and, and know that Sam is feeling uh, difficult and alone and, and troubled. Uh, and uh, has a, a funeral to look forward to, that Sam has people who 20 messaged him, been around to see him, people arranging to go and see him, and people will be... Nobody can replace his dad. His dad was an amazing guy, and he did so much for him. But we've got to be his family too, and so we'll be, we'll be helping him in ways that we didn't help him before. And I love the fact that he's part of a church where this can happen. And it, it, we know Sam because he was in a group with us. And so we get to know each other best in groups. Sometimes it's a serving team. We make really good friends in serving teams. Uh, and that's why I encourage everybody to come. If you don't know if you're a prophet or an apostle or a pastor or teacher, you can clean and you can make tea and coffee. That's where you're going to make some friends. That's where you're going to develop the credibility. We'll be able to see that you've got a servant's heart to move into that area so we can help you move into the area where you're most gifted. And so when it comes to community life, to me it's family life. It's me knowing that I have a problem, I can ring my friend. It's me knowing if I don't know how to fix something, I can ring my friend. It's knowing that if one of my friends, one of the people in our church has a problem, they can ring me. And if I don't know how to help them, I'll find somebody who can. It's knowing that I never have to be alone. The times when you do need to be alone, the, funnily enough, the building block of community is solitude. It's being with Christ alone, where you receive the grace and the, to put up with each other, the grace to love each other, the strength to care for each other. And so as leaders, uh, are all, we're always thinking about how can, we, how can we do this the best? We don't want to be a church that potters along the bottom. We want to be a church that reaches for the stars for some things. Let's not be happy just to be average. Let's, let's try and keep working on making things super good. So that community life is super good. And for some people, their life in community here is super good. It's really good. But in Hebrews, is, well, we always belt people over the head with Hebrews verse, don't we, about community. When we want to encourage people to get in groups who bring out the big guns, the big verse, Hebrews 10, 25, is it 25? 
Uh, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Boo, if you're in the habit of. Boo, if you're in the habit of meet, not meeting together. Boo, 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 boo. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I just want to think about that word consider, and that's what we're doing. As an eldership, as leaders, we're considering this in this moment. How can we make this better? How can we reach for beyond average? How can we make everything much more beautiful in terms of community life? And we've been doing some research and thinking, and Grow Group's a pretty reasonable model, but so we don't have to do massive change, but we're going to do some change, and change in the numbers of the people who lead the groups, how frequently they meet, and where they meet and what they do when they meet. So it's not wholesale change, but it's enough of a change to say we need all the leaders and the potential leaders to get their heads around how we're going to do this. And so some of you will have had a, an invitation from me or an invitation from one of your leaders to come along to some leaders training we're having for the next four or five weeks on a Wednesday night, 7.45 at uh, Jasper Centre. Uh, we want all the existing group leaders to be there and they've all had invitations and all those that we think could be potential group leaders to come along and understand how we consider together how to shoot for the stars in terms of life together. This is an important, important part of our life because let's face it, the last thing we want is to have 5,000 people coming on Sundays and nobody meeting on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. Honest, I don't want a crowd. If Jesus wanted crowds, he'd have preached what they want to hear. Now and again, he'd have to say something that was so offensive and call them to such a level of living that they just walked away. So we want to be in that spot where we're calling everybody in this church to live together, but organising in such a way that everybody can. Because a lot of you are busy and you're doing multiple jobs and stuff like that. So I'm not going to go through the whole model now. I just want you to know this is what's happening. In this period, uh, we'll be saying to the groups, it, you, you can rest too. If you want to gather without your leaders, that's fine. But free your leaders so they can be reset, so they can reset the group. Does that make sense? So it might be in your group you say, look, well, maybe we won't meet every week. Maybe Sunday afternoons we'll meet for lunch after church. We'll catch up. Maybe we'll break up and the guys can meet in the morning. The girls can meet in the morning or the guys can meet in the morning. And uh, Up to you. You're big folks. We trust you. You can organise yourselves. But for the next five weeks, I really encourage you to release your leaders, let them come, and, and we'll work out, we will consider together how we may spur one another on towards love and good works. Uh, following that training period, the groups will form, but essentially there'll be a vehicle for our prayer, 40 days of prayer and fasting, so there'll be opportunities to pray together. And then when we finish 40 days of prayer and fasting, we'll, we'll be properly ready to relaunch and reset the groups to start again. Now, it may be that in 12, as Adam said, sometimes you revisit things and you change them. I'm hopeful that we're laying the foundation for a way to live. And it'll be the way we live at Cornerstone. If you look at my team, Liverpool, there's a way we play. we got a way we play. Jim, how do man you play again? Oh, okay, sorry. Happy New Year, Jim. <laughs> you, you know... There's a, we got a style. Our team, we have a style. Horrible to play against, heavy pressing, high pressing, pushing hard. Now, we don't always win, but heavy metal, but at least we know what we're doing. 
this is, and you join the team, you need to learn how to play our way. And it's not that somebody else's playing their way is not good, that's fine. But we have to develop our own way. We've got to have a thing that goes through us like a sticky rock. If you join Cornerstone, you're a person of prayer. That's it. Because if you're not praying, you're not receiving. If you're not receiving, you're not getting guidance, you're not receiving grace to live. You've got to be a person of prayer. That's just the way we play. If you come to Cornerstone, you've got to live in community. It is not good enough to be alone. It is not good enough for you to come on Sunday and see somebody and not care about what happens to them on Wednesday. That's not the way we play. That's not the game plan we want. We want a game plan where, where I know that if, that if I have a need, I can, I can confidently call people and know they'll come. I need, we need to be that way. Life's tough. When somebody goes through the mill, they need to know there's somebody they can call and they will come. And you need to know that if you call me, I will come. That's just the way we play the game at this church. Okay? So there'll be, tweet, you know, there's other things to learn. But those are the main things. People of prayer and people who are together on a purpose. Those are, that we're not the only ones who need to know Christ. You've got family members you've been praying for years. And when they come within the orbit of this church, I want them to say, wow, now I get what you're on about. When they come to your small groups, I want them to say, wow, I need some of this. When they come to our outreaches, I want them to say, yes, I follow Christ. It's not just about us, is it? We've got one life. We need to spend it well and take as many people with us into eternity as we possibly can. Lord, as we lead into communion now, we reflect on the fact that this special token of unity with you and unity with each other came in the context of having a meal, of sitting around the table and telling stories of faith from years gone by. And it was that meal that kept the people of Israel together over thousands of years and multiple persecutions because it was how they played the game. It was in their DNA to meet together, to eat together, to pray together and to share stories of faith. As we come to this table now, Father, we're, we're laying our lives down once more saying thank you for what you've done for us. As our response to the great love you have for us, we want to give you our lives. Feed us now with the body and blood of Christ that we may become more like him and live like him in the world until that day when you call us home. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.